So I am uh, today in the book of Judges, the book of the Judges, and I am in the seventh chapter of the Judges, and I am going to be reading from the 19th verse. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the judges, you will know that these were not adjudicators in the legal sense, but these were deliverers. And these were people that God raised up to deliver Israel from captivity. And they fell into captivity typically because they cut corners on the covenant and, and became the slaves of their enemies. And life became very bitter for them and they would cry out to God, they would repent and God would raise up a judge to bring judgment on the enemy and liberate the people. One such judge was a gentleman called Gideon. All familiar with Gideon? Okay, I'm going to talk about Gideon today, but I'm going to talk about him in a very particular context. So let's go with verse 19 and 20. If you can see it on the screen, then you can perhaps uh, read it out loud with me. If you have it on your phone, or if you have an old-fashioned Bible. Come on now. How many of you still have a Bible? That's right. God bless you. <laughs> so Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so I guess for those of you familiar with the Gideon story, you're wondering what is Gideon doing with a hundred men when actually I think of him as having 300 men, right? Well, he divided the 300 into three camps and he positioned them on either side of the enemy's camp so that with Gideon there was 100 and then there was 100 on another side and 100 on another side. And what they had in their hands were a trumpet in the one hand and what the King James calls a pitcher, a modern translation would call a torch. So a trumpet and a torch. And they went out against a host of hostile, barbaric, and aggressive enemies with a trumpet and a torch. So I'm going to speak into our collective destiny from the subject, the trumpet and the torch. Amen. The trumpet and the torch. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Trumpet in the right hand, torch in the left hand. That's all I need to defeat my enemy. Trumpet and a torch. I am, in fact, continuing something we started last week when we looked at the legacy of the global pandemic. And in last week's message, I addressed the fact that why is not always the best question to ask when faced with adversity. It's the instinctive, natural question. Why me? Why am I going through this? Why? But why is not the best question to ask? Because all it induces is an argument within yourself. Because none of the answers, no matter how academically sound, actually satisfy you. Isn't that fair to say? When you really go through adversity, why is not the best question to ask? Because the answers don't particularly satisfy you. The best question to ask is, what now? What next? Because what now accepts that something has happened and takes control away from the thing and puts it back into your hands? It gives you a sense of controlling what next. So what now is important because... Some of our best outcomes, some of our best results in life do not reflect our bright ideas and brilliant decisions. They reflect what we were forced to do as a result of an adversity. Actually, I've discovered that all great things come out of chaos and a crisis. Did you know that? <laughs> that includes everyone under the hearing of my voice. Ask your mama. She's going to tell you. You came out of chaos and a crisis. You didn't come out suited and booted. You came out crying and needy. And that's actually the metaphor for almost all greatness comes out of chaos and a crisis. In the beginning, God did not bring order out of order. He brought order out of chaos. Yes. He didn't bring beauty out of beauty. He brought beauty out of corruption. Because that's really the key to greatness, to actually realize that your crisis, your chaos, is an opportunity. It is a womb. It is a mother and we call necessity the mother of invention. Why? Because you are never more creative than when you are forced to find a way. People say, you know what? I'm just not sure how to make it. But if the stakes were high enough, you find a way. Isn't that right? We're never more creative than when we're forced to. And so the global pandemic happened. And why? Is a, it's a significant question, but it's not the best question right now. Because all it will generate is an argument. Okay? It'll generate theologies and philosophies and politics and all of the other bits and pieces and all the suspects that we have behind it all. And does nothing to enrich our now 
or enlighten our future, the best question we could ask is, what now? What next? It's happened. But what did it force us to do? Because even though the pandemic was a bad thing, it forced us to do some good things. Wish I had some help. It forced us to do some good things. So I'm going to get deep. And to get deep, I need an illustration. The illustration is going to be my phone. This is just the first level of deep. We'll get even deeper after this. You know, no matter how good a phone is, every now and again, it stops working. It slows, it slows down. It starts jamming up. It's not as responsive. And things stay stuck on a screen that should have left. And the spelling, <laughs> all sorts of things happen with phones, right? And when that happens and you report it, they will typically say, do a soft reset, right? And if that doesn't fix it, they'll say, do a hard reset, because the hard reset restores the factory settings, right? Now, to restore the factory settings, you have to be willing to erase all the data on your phone. And so a lot of people won't restore factory settings because they're quite invested emotionally in the data. They haven't quite learned how to back it up. So as far as they're concerned, I'd rather struggle with a phone that's not working than to restore the factory settings. Until, until the whole thing breaks down and you've got no choice. That's what the pandemic did for the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. It reset our priorities. And the purpose of the reset was to restore the factory settings. What I mean by factory settings, I mean the church of God's dream. The church of his intention. Because church had become so commercial, so westernized, it had become so unfit for purpose in so many ways that God said, we need a hard reset to restore the factory settings. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to turn off the lights, turn off the cameras. I'm going to have to get them out of their theaters because for them, it's a theater, right? It's a show that people come to watch their best actors and performers. He said, I'm going to shut it all down. I'll let it all shut down because then you're forced to focus on a new set of priorities. You're forced to focus on your relationship with God as opposed to the strength of an organized religion. Why? Because if you don't have a relationship with God in a, in a, in a lockdown, church can't come and see you. They couldn't come and see you even if you were in hospital. So in hospital, you needed to know God yourself, right? We were forced to do that. So... I am convinced that the global pandemic served the purpose of resetting the priorities of the church. And I outlined some of that last week. However, reset is not enough. It ain't going to help. Because even when you have reset, 
your phone, you may have to update the software. The operating system needs updating. Because there are some applications that will not work on the old system. I wish I had some help in here today. There are some applications that will not work on the old system. And you understand there's a difference between an operating system and an application. Come on, yo, yo. Listen, there's probably more mobile phones in the earth than there are human beings, right? So I think you're getting what I'm talking about here. There is a difference between an operating system and an application. It's an important difference because, see, the operating system reads the application and becomes a framework for the application and allows the application to work. Without the operating system, the application doesn't make any sense to the phone. The phone doesn't know how to work it, cannot read it. And so when you're designing applications, you design them for specific operating systems. And if you put the wrong application or you put the right application in the wrong operating system, you will get an error message. Can't read this. And I found out that, that we're getting a lot of error messages because we're confusing application with operating system. Now, the reset was to reset our priorities in terms of our values. What's important to us? How many of you know that values suggest a hierarchy of importance? That everything is not as important as everything. Everything is not worthy of your attention. Everything is not equally important. So you have to have values that say this is more important than that. That's the reset. That's what happened to the church and happened to individuals. Reset. All of a sudden, family was more important than friends. Whereas before, huh? friends got all the time, family didn't get nothing. That make sense? Reset. All of a sudden, my health matters. Reset. Your values. Your priorities, they get reset. But your operating system is your mindset. Your mindset. And there are some applications that clash and conflict with your mindset. So that even if we give you a tool, the tool doesn't work because it doesn't fit in your paradigm of what's supposed to be going on. i give you a classic example before I get deep. How many times did Jesus tell his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I will be crucified, and I will rise on the third day? It wasn't a mystery. There was no mystery to that. This was categorically. I'm going to give my life. I'll give my life and I'll take it up in three days. I will be betrayed. I will be crucified. But you know, when it happened, the disciples were like, I can't believe this. I'm total shock. I'm, I'm total. How are you in total shock about something he told you was going to happen in detail? You know why? Because the whole time he was telling them, it was colliding with their messianic paradigm, their theologies, their beliefs about the Messiah, so that whatever he told them was literal, in their mind they made it spiritual. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on. 
They spiritualized it because it didn't fit in the mindset. It didn't fit in the mindset. So, so I find this even with my, my business seminars, right? <laughs> you, you go out and give people a new tool. Now, here's a tool. But the tool doesn't work because it has to sit within the mindset. Tools are only as good as a technician that uses them. If you give hammers and saws to a plumber, they'd be like, well, yeah, it's a good hammer, it's a good saw, but I don't typically use these. I don't know what to do with them. So once, you've, once you have a good technician, you can have poor tools, and they'll get better results than a person with great tools that doesn't have the mindset of the technician. Is that making sense? So not only must God reset our values, he has, to upgrade the, he has to upgrade the operating system so that we are ready for some new applications. I wish I, I, wish I could hear an amen. I'm prophesying here today and telling you that God is ready to install some new applications into the body of Christ and it requires an update in our operating system to even realize that this is a God tool, this is a God application, this is a God software. This is a God thing. It's going to take an update of our mindset. Which is why God is the God of the quality over the quantity. He really is. It's one of the resets. Quantity was everything to us before the pandemic. And we found out that quantity don't help you in a crisis. Quality people help you in a crisis. And so there was a shift. And the same shift happened for Gideon. Watch this. Gideon starts out with 32,000 volunteers. How many? 32,000. You know what God said to Gideon? Oh, they're up against an army that cannot be numbered. And by the way, they are Midianites and Amalekites. Anyone ever heard the word Amalekite before? It almost sounds like a rope chain around your neck. Amalekite. It just, it's just uh, the Amalekites. Well, the Amalekites in history, whew, they were considered to be an occultic tribe of people who could appear as humans or animals. Which is why when God said to Saul, utterly destroy the Amalekites, he said destroy all the animals too. Because this was the mindset. These Amalekites were evil. They were so occultic. And you've got Midianites. You can't count the number. So 32,000 is nothing compared with the adversity. And God says, Gideon, you've got too many people with you. What? It's too much. It's too much. Because if I save you by 32,000 people, you're going to say, you know what? We did it. You're going to take all the glory and the credit. God said, I need you to cut the people down. So he says, I tell you what you do. Gideon, make an announcement. Just be transparent. Be honest with the people. Tell them, look, any of you that are scared, any of you that are frightened, you have my blessing and permission to just go home. You would think, you would think that soldiers, fighting men, would not want to openly admit their fear. 22,000 men went home. That's, that's two-thirds. 
You see, you, you can get more done with a third that has faith than two-thirds who have fear and doubt. God was purging the tool, cleansing the tool. Now watch this carefully. God says, Gideon, there's still too many. 10,000 is too much. So I'm going to give you another test. Everyone's thirsty, take them down to the river. Watch how they drink. Just watch how they drink. See, anyone that bends down, puts their mouth to the water like a dog, he says, note them and send them home. Anyone who kneels down and picks up the water with their hand, that's who I'm going to use. You would think that there'd be maybe 5,000 left. No, 300 men knelt down and used their hands. So Gideon's down to 300 men. From 32,000 to 300 men, said God says, it's by these 300 that I'm going to deliver Israel. By these 300. Well, if you're listening to God carefully, you would begin to realize that he's going to do it in an unconventional way. Because there is no way that 300 men engage in conventional warfare against an army so big. You're not going to need a sword in this fight. You're not going against them with a sword. In this fight, you're going against them with a trumpet and with a torch. Help me now. A trumpet and a torch. Why? Because 300 cannot win a conventional war against these, these individuals. And why has God slimmed it down to 300? Because, because it's easier to change the operating system of a few than it is the operating system of the many. Because the many typically follow the successes of the few. Which means that if you can get a few to update their operating system, install a new application and see it work, eventually the others come on board and they start realizing certain things. See, God wanted a few people who understood that he wins battles for his people. One of the few people who could trust that without a sword, God could give them the victory. Woo! Just a few. Somebody shout back at me, just a few? Just a few believers. I think that's what the pandemic has done. It's kind of, it's kind of whittled things down to a few people that have passed a number of tests. Like if you're really scared, Christianity is not going to work for you right now. It's just not going to work. You have to be a soldier to do this right now. I mean, I remember a time when it was easy and it was convenient and it was all very nice. But right now, we need soldiers. We need courage because there is a battle ahead of us. There's a war in the atmosphere and in the earth. It's going to require soldiers. It's going to require some courage. So there's been some purging in the arena of courage. And there's also been some purging in the arena of selfishness versus generosity. Oh, help me now. See, I, I tried to figure out why is it that God rejected the ones who, who lapped the water like a dog. Why? Because when you bend down, put your head in the water like the dog, 
You are not concerned about anyone or anything else other than your own immediate thirst. But once you kneel down and you are, it means that you are staying alert to cover both yourself and your friends. So those that were supremely selfish, God said, I can't take you into this new application because the new application won't work with that old mindset. I wish I had some help in here today. It won't work with that old mindset. So God said, look, I'm looking for those people with new mindsets. Number one, you are not selfish. You are going to look after each other, come what may. And number two, you are not fearful. You are trusting that God can do this. So God says, okay. Here's going to be the tools. Now, God said, finally, if you have any doubts left before I send you in there, go down like a spy and listen to their conversations. So Gideon goes down and he listens and he hears them saying, had a dream last night. I had a dream. The basic meaning of the dream is that we are done. There's a man called Gideon. He's going to wipe us out. Uh, this thing is not going to last. And he heard the nightmare that was going on in the enemy's camp. And sometimes your greatest courage actually comes from listening to, to, to others' perceptions of you because favor not only shapes a person's perception of you as someone that they should be kind to, favor also shapes perceptions of you as someone to not mess with. And, and sometimes there are people who just won't mess with you, not because you've ever flexed your muscles or tried to be uh, intimidating in any way. It's just something about you that says, you know what, don't play with that one. And that's just a perception. So, so, so Gideon can hear it and he now knows, he knows God's going to deliver Israel by 300 men. So here's what Gideon did. Watch this now. He split them up into three groups of 100. Woo. I know we struggle with division, don't we? We don't like division. You know, man of God, you don't need to split up a congregation. We all need to stay together so we can be strong. Yes, in the old paradigm, in the old operating system, we all need to be together so we can fight conventionally. But Gideon understands that this is not going to be a conventional fight and it is going to rely on strategies from the Holy Spirit. So he says the first thing we really need to do is surround the enemy. And in order to surround the enemy, we need a base on this side. We need a base on that side. We need a base on the other side. And yes, there'll only be a hundred here, a hundred here, and a hundred there. But if we can get these bases where we have surrounded the enemy, that's now part of the strategy of the Holy Spirit, which is an application that just doesn't work in the old mind. But the old mind had been purged. There were 300 people with a new mind ready to try new things because they already knew the old things were not going to work again. <laughs> Wish I had some help in here. Gideon says, don't take a sword. Take a trumpet and take a torch. I might as well start to close with this because this is just too good. Take a trumpet and take a torch. Trumpet and a... What's a trumpet? The trumpet in the Bible is an announcement. It's right. It's an announcement. It's your word is the trumpet. 
Set the trumpet to your mouth means make a bold declaration. And so take your declaration. Woo! Take your declaration. What's a torch? It was a pitcher with, with a lamp in it. You break the pitcher and all you can see is the light. So where's the torch? Where's the trumpet is your declaration. The torch is your demonstration. The words backed up by the deeds. He says, all I want you to take is words and deeds. I don't even know if we're ready for this. Because there's another gap we need to mind. It's the gap between what we say we believe in theory and what we show we believe in practice. And that gap needs to close because we will never be the army of God if our words are not backed up by our deeds. Declarations are not enough in the modern world. They must be backed up by demonstrations. And anyone that has a trumpet in the one hand and is ready to make a declaration and a torch in the other hand to illuminate and to show by demonstration, that person is, is in the armies of the Lord to do something that is absolutely unheard of and never been done before. So I'm going to make some declarations today. We'll make some declarations today. You can decide whether you agree with them or not, believe them or not. You can decide how real this is for you. But I am convinced, I am convinced that God is still going to reach the entire city. And he's still going to bring millions to faith and into the new birth and into the spirit-filled life. I'm convinced he's going to do it. But he's not going to use the old tools, the old methods, the old mindsets. And he's looking for a new breed whose operating system has been sufficiently updated to allow for a new application. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There was a day in the church where jeans was an offense to the culture. How dare you come to church in jeans? Like you're going to work. It's the house of God. You're supposed to find your best clothes. Be suited and booted. Necktie. Long dress. You're going to look a certain way to come to church. Can I tell you that if jeans offend you, you are, if ripped jeans offend you, you are not ready for what is next. Because what is next won't even look like what was. Oh God, help me now. If you're offended by jeans, what are you going to do when the coffee and tea comes out? In the middle of what you call service. What are you going to do? When we're split up, and there's a group over here having coffee and tea and biscuits and teaching people the gospel and praying them through to the spirit of God. In Costa. In a pub. 
in a restaurant? What are you going to do when, when you can't recognize, you can't find conventional church? Now I'm convinced we will find conventional church at least once a month. At least once a month. Why? Because I love it. You can come if you want to, but I'm here. But see, God's saying, listen, I showed you in the pandemic that you cannot rely on these tools that defined everything about you. Because in one day, in one week, it was all gone. And it was gone for an indefinite period of time. You didn't have it for one month, two months, one year. You didn't have none of it. So now you have to find a way to do faith that works in a lockdown or in a liberation. You have to find a way to do faith. Now we're dealing with a generation and a society that is anxious about crowds. So the more we try to build a crowd, it's the more people you turn off. Unless particular people are in concert, in which case... We say no more about that situation. But see, the times have changed. Conventional warfare doesn't work. Sharpening the swords in order to run into the battle, that's not going to work. What we're going to need is 300 people with a trumpet in one hand and a torch in the other. Because with your declaration and your demonstration, with your words of love and your deeds of love, with what you say and how you, how you flow, those two things become, become the new tools of the 21st century that convict more people in ways that traditional church simply cannot. Why? Because traditional church relies on getting you in here. And there's going to come a day when that's not as easy as it looks. Don't scream at me now. So let me finish with my prophecy. Are you ready for my prophecy? See, millions of people are going to come to personal faith in Jesus. Most of them will not even call themselves Christian. They will call themselves followers of Jesus. And they are going to come to Jesus, not through a preached sermon on a Sunday, but through individuals like you who carry a trumpet and a torch everywhere that you go. And the altar, the altar, the place of meeting God could be a restaurant. It could be a park bench. It could be, it could be a coffee shop. But they're going to come because God is turning on the people that remained. Remember, lots of people left, but the 300 that remained, God is turning you on. And he's installing into your life new applications that are able to do things that we couldn't do before. And he's installing it in your life because you have a new mindset. So lo and behold, Gideon, you took 300 men, divided them up into camps of 100, and all you did was shout. 
you shouted. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon, you shouted on this side. You shouted on that side. You shouted on the other side. You made noise and you created a scene. That's what you did. And you defeated an army that no man could number. They turned upon themselves, they slaughtered each other, and Israel was delivered in a very unconventional way. And I'm wondering, am I preaching to a church that's open to unconventional ways of getting victory? I'm not sure. Who am I preaching to right now? Are you open to some unconventional ways of getting victory? So I'm convinced God's still going to get everything he wanted. God's going to get everything he wanted. God's going to get everything he wanted and more. It's just those old apps don't work. They don't work. They don't work in a new updated system. They work in old systems, but those old systems still need resetting. So I'm here to surrender to the Lord. Anyone want to do that with me? I'm here to surrender to the Lord. I'm here to say, God, I am so hungry to see your glory. That I don't care if it's the ripped jeans, if it's the coffee, if there has to be a sandwich with it. I really, that's, I really don't want to see the glory of God packed into one moment on a Sunday. I want to see a people rise up with a trumpet in one hand and a torch in the other. Because then we can reach the city. Lift your hands to the Father. I want to pray with you right now in Jesus' name. I want to pray with you right now. Because you, you are the one that God has chosen to be the difference that makes the difference in our generation. So, Father, I pray for every person whose hand is lifted up. I pray that you will put a trumpet in one hand and a torch in the other. I pray that your people will come into the priesthood of their belief. I pray that your people will become outstanding personal evangelists. I pray that your people will terrify the enemy. I pray that fear and terror will fall on the enemy, not because of my preaching, but because of your people. I pray in the name of Jesus that every place where the sole of their foot shall tread, that you will give it to them. Oh, hallelujah. Stand up if you're one of those people. Every place that the sole of their foot will tread, Father, I pray that you give it to them. I pray in the name of Jesus. Just lift your hands with me if you want any of these prayers to be real for you. I pray in the name of Jesus that wealth and resources and riches will flow into the hands of a people that are carrying trumpet and torch. I pray the doors will open for us that no one can shut. I pray that ways will appear where there seem to be no way. I pray that the windows of heaven will remain open over our lives 
so that heavenly resources will empower us and enrich us on every level. I pray that we will become your billboard in the earth, your advertisement in the earth, your website in the earth, your glossy brochure in the earth, your business card in the earth. Father, turn us into your business cards. Turn us into your brochures so that wherever we go, wherever we be, we have an impact, an unexplainable impact on people around us. A magnetic influence in society. In the name of Jesus. Because Father, with a smaller group, with a smaller group, you are ready to do so much more. Father, we pray that we will be the generation that sees the glory of the Lord fill this land like the waters cover the sea. I pray that we will be the generation that witnesses the millions and the millions come into personal faith, a new birth, and a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that we will be the generation in which the pews are no longer spectators but are the greatest participators. I pray that we will be the generation who finds Monday even more exciting than Sunday. This is our prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus. Give God a great hand clap if you believe it. Give him a great hand clap if you believe it. Wow. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.